we have been talking about change. We've been talking about how to change your life. We really started on Easter weekend. Listen to me. God wants to move in your life. How many of you know that's true? God wants to bring change to your life. In fact, if I could say it this way, God wants to give life to your life. You remember we said on Easter weekend, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the and the life. Where Jesus is, there should be life. Why? Why is it important that God is speaking into your life, life, that you are growing and that you are changing, being conformed to his image? Here's why. You were made with a purpose. Do you know that? You're not an accident. Nobody here is an accident. Everybody here, God made with purpose. You were made with a reason. God put you on this earth for significance. You know, I heard the story. It inspired me about the 1968 Olympics. They were held in Mexico City. And the last runner to finish the marathon was a guy from Tanzania. His name was John Stephen Aquari. And during the race, he actually broke his leg. Can you believe that? Can you imagine going to the Olympics and breaking your leg in the race? He stumbled. He was a bloody mess. Hurt really bad. Long after everybody else had left the stadium. I mean, the stadium was almost empty. Here he comes struggling in. He never, he never uh, dropped out of the race. He was the last person. He came in at 7 in the evening. But as he entered to do his last lap around the track and finish the marathon, it was the coolest thing. You should look this up. People stood up and started cheering for him. There were a few people left. They gave him a standing ovation that he deserved. Later he was asked, why didn't you quit? You broke your leg. If anybody had an excuse, you know, you were bruised and bloody, why didn't you quit? He gave a classic answer. He said, and I quote, my country did not send me 7,000 miles around the world just to start a race. My country sent me to finish a race. Now let me tell you guys something. Jesus did not come to earth and resist temptation for you and live a perfect life for you and die a criminal's death that he didn't deserve for you he didn't raise himself from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father so that you could just start the race and not finish it. Unfortunately, though, too many people don't finish the Christian race. They drop out. By the way, it is tragic for me as a pastor to say that I see people dropping out all the time. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote about this, much like you just read in Hebrews, but it's another scripture, and he says this, he says, as for me, I don't regard my life of, of any value, only that I what? Finish the race and do what? Complete the mission that I've received from the Lord. He says, only that I would finish it. Finishing. God, some of you, guys, God is working in some of you to provoke change. And we started talking about it a few weeks ago, and already you're becoming discouraged. And it's like, boy, this is hard. I want to talk to you about that today. Now, if you remember week one, if you haven't been here, go back and listen to it. Week one, second, first week after Easter, we talked about the nature of change. And if you remember, we really looked at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you remember we said a few things. We said, number one, that change, growth from the Lord is always gradual. 
but it is inevitable. It's always internal as opposed to mechanical. You don't force it. God's doing the work within you. And remember we said it's always symmetrical, meaning if you bear one of the fruit, you should be bearing all of the fruit. That's how you examine your life. Because it's fruit, it's not fruits. Everybody with me? Then in the second week, Pastor Ronnie came last week and he talked about a putting off and a putting on. That our process, our part in change is that we put off the old self daily and we put on the new self. Listen, the Christian life is always all about a death and a resurrection. Something's gotta die and something's gotta be resurrected. That is the Christian life. Now, today what I wanna do is, as quickly as I can, because I bet Ronnie some money I can get done fast. Are we ready? He's gonna buy me lunch this week, so if you don't get all the notes, it's his fault. Sound good? I wanna give you some roadblocks that get in the way of change. Some roadblocks that will get in the way of change. Everybody ready? All right, here we go. Here's the first roadblock. Write this down. It's what I'd call settled mediocrity. This is when you stop reaching. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on. Who knows? Two of you know? Are you serious? Online, you should be texting somebody saying, I know mediocrity. This is when you get lazy in your faith. This is when you lose your chutzpah. You've settled. You've grown complacent. complacent. And by the way, Growing complacent is really easy to do. You don't even have to work at it. All you have to do is not pay attention. Is that right? All you have to do is just, just start going through the motions. By the way, I've done this a million times. I have grown mediocre and complacent, not intentionally, but I, I just sort of forget. I just sort of forget about the Lord, and I, I just, listen to me, guys, when I say this. How many of you know all good things in your life take some effort? How many of you have mowed your lawn once? Give me a show of hands, come on. Did you have to mow it again? Oh, you did, why is that? You're telling me that once you mow your lawn, it doesn't stay mowed? Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm not talking about you highfalutin people with the fake grass, okay? I'm talking about people with manly lawns that require some effort. So, you know, you have to mow it more than once. See, this is what Paul the Apostle was talking about when he says, look, Timothy, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame, meaning stoke the fire, throw logs on the coal. Listen, things don't just happen, you happen it. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Next, roadblock number two is a fear of being honest. It's a fear of being honest about where you are, who you are, what's going on in your life. I'm talking about the fear of sharing your sins or your private struggles. Look, listen to me. Everybody look at me for just a minute. The Christian life is a race, not a sprint, and I promise you, you are going to trip. You are going to fail. Newsflash. You are not going to be perfect as you try and serve Jesus. I hear so many people say, I have to wait to be baptized until I'm perfect. Then you're never going to get baptized. Ever. You're never going to feel good enough. In fact, the closer you get to God, the more aware of your shortcomings you're going to have. Why? Because the closer you get to the light, the dirtier you seem to be. Light shows that. People, by the way, these Christians, or what I want to call imitation Christians, that act all pious like they've got it all together, let me tell you, they're acting. 
You're not going to be who you want to be, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep moving. I always say, Lord, I'm not who I should be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. You know, I'm always saying, Lord, I just need to keep moving forward. What does the Bible then actually say? Not that you're going to be perfect, not that the Christian should be perfect. So everybody, you know, take a deep breath. Oh, I am a sinner. Okay, here I go. Not that you're perfect, but ready what it says? Here we go. Let's read it together. This scripture coming up right here. It says, confess your sins to each other, Christian, and pray for each other so that you may be the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful fruit. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This scripture is written to Christians, and guess what it presupposes? It presupposes you have some sin in your life to confess. So for those of you that think, well, I don't, I'm just telling you something. Your conscience is seared or something. You're not spending enough time with the Lord. What you need to do is like David and say, search me and know me, O God. Know every wayward way within me, God. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus' blood doesn't cover those sins, but we are always working out our sanctification. Notice this next scripture, Ephesians chapter four. Let's read it together. Everybody with me, with chutzpah, here we go. So stop telling, come on, let's read that again, I like it. Look at somebody when you say it. So stop telling lies, there you go, that's good. How many of you ladies just looked at your husband, come on. <laughs> stop telling, you know, no, it says, let us tell our neighbors the what? For we are parts of the same body. Come on, Christian, quit telling each other lies. We all belong to the same church, we've all got issues. Can I ask you a question? Do you think anybody's going to be surprised that you sin? Like somebody comes into my office, pastor, I sinned. I'm like, oh. I never expected that. Unbelievable. When you sin, do you think God in heaven goes, oh, I can't believe it. They sin. No, seriously. Believe me, guys, I've had to learn this the hard way. It's just better to come clean. Just better to come clean. Live a, you know how you live a clean life? It's not by not sinning. I'm not making light of sin here. Hopefully God is progressively making you more holy and you are getting over stuff. You are changing. But let me tell you something. You're saying consistently, God, I confess this new thing that you brought to my attention because I know it's off. Anybody that tells you, by the way, they're not in sin is a fraud. Anybody that acts in, listen, you confess your sin to somebody and they act incredulous about it, you're ready for you to give, give you some dirt on the senior pastor here? When I was in college, I went to my, some of you are going to be like shocked that I even talk about this right now, but here we go. Okay, get your connection cards ready. In pastor, in, in, in uh, college, I went to my college pastor to talk to him about my masturbation problem. I, it was such a problem. I gotta, it's still an issue that I have to keep in check, by the way. Did the senior pastor just say that? I sure did. And, he's, and, and, and so I went to my college pastor, told him about it, but that was in the early 90s, and I gotta tell you something, he, he never even brought it up ever again. It's like, man, I, back then it was like a taboo topic, but I'm telling you, I have always struggled with issues of the flesh. And if you think that's bad, I've got so much dirt about that senior pastor. I could tell you so many more things, but you know what? I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, covered by his grace. Thank God I ain't what I used to be, but I'm not where I should be. I'm gonna keep working on it. Now, people that are, I can't believe the pastor said that. Listen, if you think that, you gotta deal with your own heart. Because people have their own image issues going on. 
You may not even know it, by the way. Do you know there are people, they've got issues going on, but right now they're saying to themselves, well, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, all that means is that you're self-deceived. All that means is that you've been living a particular way for so long that your conscience is seared. You've been living, what I'm saying is, you've been living so long in the dark, you don't even know what you look like. Let me tell you something. Everybody struggles. I'm just saying what John said. He who says he is without sin is a, is a liar and deceives himself. But lasting change, if you want to get over habits like I just described, you need honest, authentic communication with other people. You need to tell people the truth. Here's what I'm going through. Why? Because you're not just a believer. You're a belonger. You belong to each other. Some things are never going to change in your life until you begin to get in community. Listen to me. Listen to my words. Reject embarrassment. Do you know the easiest way to get over embarrassment is just to accept the fact that you're going to be embarrassed. Big deal. Glory in it. Learn to say that means the Lord's proud. It may, it's making you more humble. God wants you humble. Reject fear. Some of you, you're cowards. And come clean. Have a little courage. Again, stop telling lies. Okay, you ready? Let's move on. Next roadblock. It relates to this. It's what, it's what I would call willful isolation. Willful isolation. And this relates, of course, to the last one. It's when you keep yourself out of community. Listen, so many of you in here, you've been here for years. You won't go to Core 101 to learn about what it means to belong to a family. You won't join a small group. You're a believer, but you won't be a belonger, even though you are one theologically. You know who I'm talking about. Come on, those of us that come late, leave early. Lone Ranger Christians that wonder why we never see the results we're looking for. Listen to me. Not even God does life alone. God himself is three distinct persons, God the Father, come on, God the, God the, and by the way, this principle is repeated over and over, no one does good who does it alone. By the way, God looked at perfection. In Genesis 1 and 2, it's perfect, it's paradise, God looks down on perfection and he says there's one thing about perfection that's not good, do you remember? Because sin hadn't happened yet. So at the, he says at the end of chapter 2, there's one thing about perfection, how do you get better than perfection? He says there's one thing about perfection that's not good. He says it's not good that man should be what? Alone. You need others, I need others. Are you ready? Let's move on. Here we go. Number four, roadblock. Here we go, write this down. False beliefs or ungodly beliefs. I probably should have said false beliefs. And there are all sorts of false beliefs, but I wanna to touch this for just a minute because I have come across so many believers that start the race well, they start change well, they start growth well, but then they start listening to really weird teaching. And that teaching that they're listening to circumvents their growth in the Lord. So I could talk about all sorts of false beliefs here today. I could talk about false beliefs about yourself or false beliefs about others, but I wanna go a little bit more theological if I can for just a minute because we don't get the chance to talk about this too much. You wouldn't believe how many people I find end up leaving the church that start out as spiritual babies and it's because they get their theology from TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and all the different teachers that they're listening to and it confuses the heck out of them. Guys, listen. We have access to so many teachers today, and some are good. 
but there is so much information at your fingertips through social media. How many know what I'm talking about? It is so easy to get fed the wrong stuff. What would happen if you looked at somebody who was malnourished? Would they look good? Would they feel healthy? I look at people all the time and I, and I see the attitudes that develop and I see th things that they say and I think, oh man, who are you listening to? Who are you under the influence of? I was reminded of how Paul instructed Timothy when he said, Timothy, about the church in Ephesus, he says, look, he says, pastor these guys, he says, preach the word. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity even seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. He's saying preach the word. I mean, you notice that there is a dependency to go back to the words of God and say, is this true? And look what he goes on to say. This is something. He says, correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and, and faithful teaching. In other words, bear fruit as you do it. Now, I want to give you four tests today. Listen, I'm not going to name teachers today. There's too many. I'm not going to tell you who to watch out for. I don't like naming names, and I don't want to get into that. But what I would like to do is teach you how to fish. I'm not going to give you the fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish. Everybody understand that metaphor? I want to give you four tests to help you evaluate if a teaching is bad or good or questionable. Are you ready? This is not in your notes. You're going to have to write fast. Here we go. The first test is what I would call the fruit test. Write that down. It's the fruit test. In other words, when you're listening to other teaching, you need to ask yourself, does this teaching cause its hearers to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Let me say that again, the fruit test. Does this teaching I'm listening to cause its hearers to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Now, guys, when I say bear fruit, many of you think, well, that means it's successful. That means it grows. No, that is not what I'm saying. Lots of bunk things grow. Lots of false religions grow and get successful. That is not what I'm talking about. When I say bear fruit, I'm talking about week one of this series, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Is that teaching producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are you with me? You know, I always appreciated, by the way, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Chuck Smith. There was recently a movie that had, uh, that had Chuck Smith in it. And, uh, and I, I, I remember I was struggling with issues of Calvinism and Arminianism and trying to figure out what was real. We're not going to go into what that is, except that Chuck Smith wrote, wrote this amazing article that broke down this belief versus this belief. But I loved what he said at the very end, and I'm just going to read it to you. He said, remember, this is the very end of the whole article. He says, remember, Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. Then he says this. When a particular position on the scriptures causes one to become argumentative, legalistic, and divisive, I question the validity of their position. I seek to embrace those things that tend to make me more loving and kind, more forgiving, more merciful, because I know then I'm becoming more like my Lord. Now, I love what he says next. You ready? He says, if you've come to a strong personal conviction on one side of a doctrinal issue, please grant me the privilege of first seeing how it has helped you to become more like Christ in your nature. Then we will judge whether we need to come to your same persuasion. 
Let us always be certain to look to the fruit of the teaching. You know what he says? He says, I'd rather have the wrong facts and a right attitude than have the right facts and the wrong attitude because he says, God can change the facts in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to change my attitude. Isn't that good teaching? Isn't that sound teaching? Yours in love, Chuck Smith. I'm glad I came across that early on. So first is the fruit test. Let me go faster on the next ones. You ready? Next test is what I'd call the self-indulgence test. Write that down. I made these up. Sorry if they're not clear. The self-indulgence test, meaning when you're listening to a kind of teaching that's persuasive and it carries weight to you, but you ask yourself why, and you search your heart and you realize, why is this carrying weight with me? Oh, because it's telling me exactly what I want to hear. It supports my moral desires. It supports my personal agenda. And that's why it's so persuasive. By the way, this is what progressive churches are doing today. We are not a progressive church by its strict label. Listen. He says, he goes on in Timothy, and he says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine or accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers. One after another chosen. And that's exactly what's happening today, by the way. I gotta be honest with you. There are so many people in the church that end up saying they're leaving the church. And the reasons they give me, I just realized I was never your pastor anyway. Your pastor's been that guy on YouTube. You just come here. It says, to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold, they will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. That's when it tells you what you want to hear. Everybody clear on that? Here's the second test. It's what I'd call the adversity avoidance test. Well, what's adversity? Adversity avoidance test. What's adversity? Adversity is when you're going through challenging times. Or when you go through difficult circumstances, you're not making as much money. Society seems to struggle. You have less than desirable outcomes. There are things you're not going to like. It's when you're struggling. It's when your life is hard. In other words, something is happening that causes you discomfort in your lifestyle, your income level. Adversity is discomfort. Adversity is misfortune. Adversity is hardship. Now, listen to me. When someone wants to avoid these things, they will adopt theological dispositions that are truly not sound. They're not biblical. By the way, I see this happen with politics. I'm being straight up with you. This happens with politics. People can form their scriptural viewpoint to meet their political agenda. Now, I see this happen with conservatives. And I see this happen with liberals. I don't care who you are. Listen, if I've offended both groups today, great. I am an equal opportunity offender. I am telling you, people will become so nationalistic, they are given over to nationalistic idolatry, and then they're listening to preachers that aren't really using the Bible. They're talking about politics, but they're using the Bible to meet their end. That is not sound doctrine. Secondly, I've seen this happen with the faith movement or the health and wealth gospel. 
Because why? People who want to be comfortable want to hear preaching that tells them they can be rich or they can have what they want or if they just conjure enough faith, they'll get what they need. And I'm telling you, that's not biblical, nor is it sound teaching. Man, we're going to lose everybody in the church today. Let me give you one more, fourth test. You ready? It's what I call the recycled humanism test or repackaged humanism. Now, just to get that, when I say recycled or repackaged humanism, does everybody understand what humanism is? Take a look at the screen. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to who? The human rather than what? The divine or supernatural. Now, I see this all the time. Listen to me. Whenever you're listening to a teaching online that emphasizes your power as the Christian, your faith, oh, you better have enough faith, brother. No, my Jesus said, the faith I need is the size of a mustard seed. He said, that actually moves mountains. It's not on the basis of my faith. Not in the way that it's speaking. See, faith is trust. I trust God. But it's not about this emotion I conjure. I have to have faith. Your gifts, your ability. In other words, there are teaching out there, it's big in North America, that you actually hold the power to command God. Now be very careful of that. Listen, do you know what that is? That's humanism, that's syncretism. It's humanistic philosophy coming into Christianity and it masquerades as theology, but it's not good. So be careful of that. I've given you four tests. By the way, I was reading a book recently and investigating it. I'm taking a minute on this. It's so important. I was reading a book recently, investigating it. I was talking to Pastor Ben. I sent him a text. Here's the uh, picture of the book. And that's called The Physics of Heaven. And it's put out by a particular group. I'm not going to name it. I'm going to give you the tools to look. You'll see it as you go. Uh, but, but it's put out by a tic- particular group that, by the way, in California sells lots and lots of books and churches, and they have lots and lots of worship music and all that stuff. That'll give you a hint. But listen, this is what was interesting. I'm listening to the book, and I'm thinking, boy, this book is full of error. It is unbelievable. So I open to the acknowledgement of this book, and look at what it says. Everybody see it? The contents of this book are based on interviews and research conducted by authors and contributors as well as their life experiences. The publisher and authors present this information for inspirational and educational purposes only. Therefore, the reader should be aware that this information is not intended as spiritual advice, doctrinal position. Now stop. Here's a book that you're selling in churches to Christians and you're saying, don't expect us to give you doctrine. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? That's what's in the church today? We're not supposed to expect you to have sound doctrine. We're just going to go for spiritual advice. Listen, this is called Oprah Winfrey spirituality. Watch out for it. I, I just got in the first few pages of the book, and I'm seeing them literally rewrite scriptures the way that they want them. They have, they're not what the scripture says, but rewrite it the way they want it to sound. That is a problem. Be careful. Rather, it's intended to be a sharing of knowledge and information from the research and experience. By the way, something else I'd watch out for is that all the teaching is based on experience and not scripture. Be careful of that. So do you get the idea? Now, I know some of you are here today, and I have to go fast, but you're saying, well, man, uh, all these false teachers, how do we know, pastor, that you're not false? I mean, how do we know that you're not teaching? By the way, can I just say something to you? Because this sabotages your growth when you get into the wrong stuff. 
People say, well, the scripture's all a matter of interpretation and your personal interpretation. By the way, this is a common argument from the Mormon church. Well, you know, I can't really trust the scriptures because it's all about interpretation. There's so many translations. Wrong. Wrong. It is not a matter of interpretation. There is a right way to interpret the Bible and there is a wrong way. This is why people go to seminary. There is a science to the correct interpretation of Scripture, and one interpretation is not as valid as the others. It is your job to investigate and study, to know the truth. And so you'd say, well, pastor, how do we know? Well, I'd say this. Number one, you can at least sit down and talk with me and get to know me enough to know my fruit. Number one, your local church, you can do that with. It's amazing to me how many people are being pastored by people they don't know, have never met, and yet they're trusting everything more than they trust anybody else. Watch out for that because that will interrupt your growth. But then, yeah, you, how do you know? Well, you study the scriptures. You look at what I'm saying. You take the outlines home. It's given to you verbatim. And you begin to say, was this taken in the right context? Is it thoughtful? Is it right? Because guys, I just want to say this from the heart. I see this happen too much to too many people. Sound good? All I can tell you, and I tell you this straight from the heart, is we are very conservative around here with our scriptural interpretation. Very conservative. And I say that because we're trying to be safe. What is the meaning of the text in its historical and cultural context? That's important. All right, you ready to talk about the last part? Here we go. How do you begin to fight for change in your life? You're watching for the guards. You're watching for what's going to get in the way. I'm going to go through this fast. Number one, you've got to remove all the distractions. Write that down. You've got to remove the distractions. Listen, guys, for some of you, the distractions are, are simple lusts of the flesh. It could be as simple as a hobby or it could be as heavy as a sin but you know it's distracting you from time with the Lord and living a godly life. And what I should say is, is that you've got to change, you've got to change what your life is orbiting around. Let me ask you, what is your center of gravity? For some of you, you'd say all sorts of things, like God is a piece of the pie, but he's not the pie. Everybody gets to decide what their center of gravity is. You know, center of gravity is what you will orbit around. For the Christian, they have said, my life is going to orbit around Jesus and everything else is going to be filtered through that. My values, my worldview, why I choose to do what I do. If you're caught in a sin, confess it. Have some courage, but you get the idea. You begin to remove the distractions. Some of you, by the way, you know what your distraction is? Is your past. You can't get over your sin. I'm telling you, Jesus died for it. He's forgotten it. You've got to let it go. Let me tell you, let me tell you how the Christian life works. You ready? You confess your sin, you repent, you invite Jesus to come and live into your life. His Holy Spirit does come in, he starts changing you, right? Everybody understand that? That's what baptism is about. But when God looks at you, he sees you as the finished product. Why? Because he sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you as perfect because that's who his son was. Then he looks at you and he says, Now be who I say you are but you already are that in his sight. Sanctification is the process of being who God already says you are. So you're feeling like, well, God's getting back at me for that sin. Listen, God doesn't even remember the sin. Some of you, the reason why you're crashing is because you're driving and you're only looking through the rearview mirror. How far do you think you're gonna get? You've gotta let it go. Some of you, you're not getting past things because you're holding on to grudges. 
You're holding on to resentments. By the way, not forgiving yourself and not forgiving others, those are two things that'll kill your change. It'll kill your growth. Watch out, you're dead in the water. Let me give you the second one. We're gonna go on. Sound good? All right, here's the next one. Write this down. Remember the reason and the reward. You've got to establish a value system and organize your life around that. Friends, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to be? By the way, your do will always come from your who. Do we all understand that? It's always identity first. Who do you want to be? Then you say, okay, what are the things I have to do to get there? By the way, I just read a great book, not like the other book, but it was a great book called The Power to Change by a guy named Craig Groeschel. It is a phenomenal book about change. I'd encourage you to get it. He's the one that, uh, first chapter, it's who, not do. But you've got to figure out who has God called me to be? And if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, change isn't going to stick. So be careful not to be discouraged. Sound good? Number three, write this down. Renew yourself daily. Renew yourself daily. How many hours in the day? 24 hours in the day. I'm saying give God some of that time. Do you think that's unreasonable? Let me ask you a question. If you never recharged your phone, what would happen? Would it work? If you never put gasoline in the tank, what would happen? Guys, what makes you think your life is any different? You wonder why you're not bearing fruit. You wonder why your marriage is not getting better. You wonder why you're not becoming the person of character you want to be. God's saying, because you need to spend time with me. You need to allow me to conform you into my image as you commune with me, as you spend time in God's word, as you focus in prayer every 24 hours. Do you think that's unreasonable? Listen, how many of you have eaten in the last 24 hours? How many meals do you think you've eaten in the last 24 hours? Three? Four? Come on, give me three if it's been three. How many have done at least four? Five? How many have done at least 20 meals in the last 24? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bless you for being truthful in the back. Man, skip one of those meals. Man does not live on bread alone. And, and take some time with Jesus. And just say, God, are you ever quiet before him? I ask, by the way, because Americans are afraid of silence. When you get in your car, what's the first thing you do? You put on music, you put on a podcast. When you get home, what's the first thing you do? You turn on the television. Americans are afraid of silence, and God's saying, why don't you just get with me? Why don't you just get with me, and we start spending time together? Does that make sense? All right, let's go on. Next one, if you just write this down. Resist discouragement. Let me just say this about it. Discouragement is the enemy's number one weapon against your life. Here's what the devil does. You ready? The devil's so good. He has a one-two punch. First, he's going to come into your life. He's going to say this to you. He's going to say, hey, that thing that you want to do, it's no big deal. Just do it. Nobody cares. It's not going to affect you. Nobody knows. Don't worry about it. Just do it. That's exactly what he's going to say. Then after you do it, he's going to say, man, that was a big deal. You suck. I can't believe you did that. You're terrible. It's a one-two punch. Not a big deal. Now it is a big deal. You're knocked out. Watch out for that. And be careful of the discouragement. If you want to see lasting change, you begin to say, yes, I messed up. 
you confess your sin to somebody, you confess your sin to God, and you move on and you say, thank you, Jesus, that you see me as I'm gonna be. Thank you, God, I am in Christ. You guys get the idea? Don't ever get tired. By the way, second major ploy of the enemy is not discouragement, it's procrastination. Some of you, here's the mess of your life. You ready? You're always saying tomorrow, I'll. Tomorrow, I'll. Or I'll start. Or I will. Listen, listen. The problem with tomorrow is it's always one day away. How about today? How about you leave this service you take your friend or you take your loved one and you take your kids, whatever. You stop at Starbucks, you open up your Bibles and you spend time in the Word right when you leave. How about that? How about you start your habits and you begin to say, God, this moment, I'm gonna start changing things around. I'm gonna start spending time with you. God will use procrastination, uh, excuse me, Satan, not God, <laughs> will use procrastination. He'll use discouragement. Write down this next one. You ready? All right, here we go. Fifth, rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. I'll just say what I said before. Some of you think, Pastor, it's too late for me. And if he can get you discouraged, he will neutralize you. Listen, if God discourages, excuse me, if Satan discourages you, he's neutralized you. You are ineffective. You know why? Because God can't use discouraged people. Because God uses people of faith. God uses people who have been changed. And who have said, God, I'm going to take steps of faith. So what you've got to say is, you've got to say, Jesus, I recognize that I am in you. I am clothed by your blood. Therefore, that's how you see me. So now I live free and you move on. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the work in their life. Thank you, Jesus, that you move in people's lives in significant ways. Lord, you said you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, help us to see where there is life and keep moving forward on it. Thank you for your Easter work, the resurrection power within us that changes us. Keep working that out. We give you the praise and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.